Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, 2021 is upon us, and the shows have big plans in terms of story. So, in our new issue on sale now, we have our big preview for the year ahead. Um, on Bold and Beautiful, we can expect the secret of Steffi and Liam's one night together uh, not to stay a secret for too long as the new year kicks off. Uh, we're also going to see a lot of forward motion in the Zoe Carter Zende Paris quadrangle, and Don Diamant will finally be back on screen as Bill tries to figure out his romantic future. Uh, over at Days of Our Lives, New Year's Eve will once again be unforgettable as Gwen sets the stage for Chad and Abigail's marriage to implode, and the ripple effect of why Gwen is after the Devereaux will play out in the new year. Uh, ben will confide in Claire that he feels deep down that Ciara is alive, and he may not be wrong, and look for another bro-y, flowy go-round as Philip, Chloe, and Brady wind up in their own tale. Well, on GH, uh, fans will get a definitive answer about Sonny's up-in-the-air fate following that bridge collapse. Anna could be poised for a world of hurt when she learns unpleasant information about Peter, who sets a dreadful series of events in motion. Uh, Sam develops a surprising new friendship with someone already on the canvas. And Laura may pit her new brothers against one another in her efforts to take Cyrus down. Uh, and fans should also look forward to the surprise return of a vet early in the new year. Uh, on YNR, there will be a lot of conflict in the Newman family when Chelsea's health crisis implodes Adam's world. Uh, Phyllis tries to enlist Kevin in her plan to get the goods on Victoria, and Summer plays dirty to get the dirt on her new rival, Sally. Uh, I want to know, Steph, of all the stories we preview in the new issue, which one are you most looking forward to? Well, I'm definitely on board for the Steffi Liam secret to come out on B&B. Um, I just think there's going to be a lot to play there with, uh, you know, Hope and Finn. I also want the truth about Gwen on Days to be revealed. Like, why is she after this family? What is her agenda? Um, and we will see some big developments in that story. Uh, spoiler alert, I've spoken to both Emily O'Brien, who plays Gwen, and Marcy Miller, who plays Abigail, for some upcoming stories. Uh, what about you? 
Well, I'm probably most curious about, you know, Peter's potential downfall on GH and how Franco hearing Peter's voice in his head will tie into Obrecht's efforts to prove that Peter framed her for Drew's death. Like, we know that before Franco had the procedure to remove Drew's memories from his psyche, he seemed to remember something critical and, in fact, left himself a voice memo, presumably saying, uh, hey, Franco, it's me, Drew. I just remembered that Peter was in cahoots with Helena. Uh, and if memory serves, he's aware of the existence of that on his cell phone, but has chosen not to listen to it for well over a year. So anyway, I am ready to see some payoff to that story, and we'll be following it with great interest, especially since it ties into so many other players, from Anna to Maxi to Scorpio to Jason. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to say that um, as much as I'm very excited for the new stories to kick off in 2021, um, I really love end of the year programming because, you know, I really love seeing the holidays play out on the shows. Um, I am such a sucker for the ornament hanging on days. I say it every year. But this year, you know, the show really did it right by giving every family their own day to celebrate. Uh, we saw the Kiriakis family have a day, the Demeras had their own celebration, the Brady's, um, you know, in addition to the Hortons, we also saw some great returns like Chandler Massey as well, a uh, special appearance by Victoria Konefal as Sierra, and actually our guests today, Teo Penglis and Leanne Hunley returned as Tony and Anna. And, you know, I think it makes the experience so much richer because in real life, you know, during like non-pandemic times, which it is in Salem, you know, families visit for the holidays. Yeah, the holidays are always the perfect time for soaps to crank up the sort of like feel good, warm and gooey family togetherness that we associate with the season. But particularly this year when so many people are you know, sacrificing togetherness and travel for the greater good, I think it becomes all the more special to be able to like live vicariously through the characters on our soaps who have been mercifully spared the off-camera reality of 2020. I sort of feel like Days owns Christmas, you know, that that holiday is so steeped in tradition on that show that no other soap really has a chance of holding a candle to how well Days does Yuletide. And even though I don't celebrate the holiday myself, I have a lot of special memories as a viewer of all those years of the Horton ornament hangings and then, you know, sort of uh, one-off Christmas miracle stories like Bianca waking up from her coma to be reunited with her presumed dead daughter Miranda and all my children. And of course, I always associate so Christmas time with the very first time that my favorite soap couple, One Life to Live's Todd and Blair, hit the sheets because they were the town outcasts and all alone on Christmas. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, we might not be seeing a lot of warm Hanukkah moments, but I have <laughs> spotted some menorahs here and there on the set for us. Um, but I do feel that because this year was such a bummer, you know, the set designers and prop masters really went out of their way to make the holiday so much more visually pleasing on every show. I mean, just the smallest details on every set. They all look so beautiful. And like, I don't know if you caught the last scene of YNR the other day with Lola looking at the decor at society, but it was just decorated so beautifully. And it really made it feel, you know, exactly probably what they wanted, like special and just sort of rewarded the audience for tuning in and kind of said like, we know what you've been going through and we're going to make it look good, you know? Yeah and bring it home for you. Um, but it was great. And, you know, speaking of great, our guests today have a very special connection as well. It's Teo Penglis and Leanne Hunley from Days. So let's catch up with them and see how their return trip to Salem is going. Hi, Teo. Hi, Leanne. Oh, hello, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to you. 
Um, well, thank you both for joining us. I will start. So Teo, you made your day's debut in November 1981. And then Leanne, you came aboard in August of 82. So your characters first crossed paths when Anna became Tony's secretary while secretly working for Stefano. So what do you remember about meeting each other for the first time? She didn't like me. <laughs> I didn't. It's not that I didn't like him. It's that I didn't. I was scared of him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing now that we've come full circle and I trust him. But, uh, no, when I first met him, uh, he was just, you know, he was charming and all of those things. But, you know, I was working, uh, I had come into the show as a, as a character to stir things up between Roman and Marlena. And so when they started to um, direct me towards going this way with, with uh, Tony, I didn't know where that where that was going. I just knew that Teo was a person that that you know expected things to be done right and to be correct. And of course, I always try to do the right thing. But um, I got a little nervous, I will say. And I also knew that he had you know he has a high standard for things to be done properly and to for the work to be really good. And you know, ultimately, that is really what needs to happen anyway. Everybody needs to do their best work, and that's what everybody's trying to do all the time. I think. No. <laughs> I think, well, most people are trying to to put their best work forward, and um, I think that he learned really fast that uh, that was my goal as an actress was to do my best work. And I think that once we kind of really had a chance to really do scenes together we 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 learned how to feed off of each other's energies and highs and lows and and work like a married couple really teo if leanne's first impression of you was as something of a perfectionist what was your first impression of her well firstly i i found out that they were going to put her with john delancey and that didn't work and so that was a bad arrangement not bad but it just didn't gel i mean you can see John Delancey with Calliope, you know, that, that was such a wonderful combination. And then the two of us, but, um, you know, she was very innocent. She was lovely. She was courteous, um, uh, lovely manners, um, beautiful. Um, she oh. wore clothes very well. And I thought that was very interesting because I'd come from a fashion world. And so um, with Melodandre in New York and um, so that both of us were on the same page. So, there was nobody else on the show that had that kind of style or sophistication. And so we, we both uh, brought it in and danced with that as a couple. And, and I think that's why we still resonate today is because, uh, as she said, trust, I think, was very important. And um, I had her back and she had mine. Um, I think there were times where, you know, I had a certain temperament um, that was <laughs> not always exciting to some people. Um, I was kind of fearless in many ways because when you're going for the truth, why, why would you want otherwise, you know? And so um, I had a tendency of being really straightforward coming from Australia um, where people don't like bullshit and, um, well, they pretend they don't like it. It's still, they're still full of it. <laughs> but that's what happened. But, you know, slowly you adjust to that. And there have been actors, you know, in the past uh, where I've had to... Actresses like, uh, uh, I won't say who, but when they put us together, you had to find a way in and it wasn't always easy. 
uh, with Leanne, you know, she was very open. And I think in, in many ways, uh, I think that kind of warmth and is what I needed. And on top of it all, uh, she turned me down, <laughs> you know, because I had, a, you know, playing two characters and being there at six o'clock in the morning and learning all those lines. After a while, you know, you're just human. It does affect you. And it's like you're being used until there's nothing left. And, you know, in, in those days, we, we, we had a lot of uh, responsibility to, for perfection, I thought. And soaps were at a different level in those days. Um, the caliber of acting because of the rehearsal period. Now we don't have any rehearsals at all. And now that we've gone back, it's kind of interesting because there's another dimension, which is even tougher than it was before. And that is with the COVID and, and, and you can't even rehearse with your actors. So you really have to be on the ball with, with whatever situation they give you. Mm -hmm. But following on that, what's interesting is that, you know, over the years I've done other kinds of work and, and as Teo has too, but I will say it is my soap opera training that has, that now in these COVID days with not being able to actually rehearse very much or, you know, just over a phone, that is what has been able or has allowed us to make it work because of that initial soap opera training, because you were, we are always doing every range of emotion, every kind of scene, every kind of interaction that you can imagine. And now it's at warp speed. And with, uh, with COVID it's now at double warp speed with, <laughs> with you just really have to create those, ideas and things in your own mind and then work with your other actor at the moment it happens. It's very spontaneous and it really, you know, seems to be, it's, it's a miracle, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it goes back to the soap opera training from the beginning. Right. Um, now, Leanne, you mentioned that Teo intimidated you in the beginning. Teo, were you aware that she was intimidated by you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I just looked above everybody's head. That's probably why. <laughs> just blithely went on with his life. <laughs> so then what did you think when you when you found out you'd be working with Leanne? Mm. Mm. Well, you're asking questions from thirty something years ago. Um obviously it must have been something good because we're still resonating well. <laughs> I, well, listen, I thought she was beautiful. You know, she's a very attractive woman. And, 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 you know, it was always, she was always like Cinderella to me. You know, she would come in the mornings with no makeup and everything. And then suddenly she'd come out of makeup and wardrobe. And then suddenly you'd go, oh my God. So, uh, you know, men don't have that um, as much yes, as- Yes, they do. Yes, uh, they do. No, 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 no. I can give it to you, honey, but don't give it to me. Uh, I'll take it. Okay, I'll take it. Thank you. I'll take it gracefully. Thank you. You know, we, we put on our suits. I mean, the thing that changes for me is the dress, is the way I dress, and that gives me the attitude. Once I put the attitude, have the, that attitude, the tone changes, the pace changes, you know. I used to say to Leanne, you know, wear, wear shoes that give you a, a little more uh, heels because it changes the way you walk. You know, uh, all that training in those years yeah, in New York was yeah. all part of that because, you know, sometimes people wear flat shoes and they walk like a duck and that's not very good for the scene. You know, you always have to be very conscious of your entrance. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what people grab at it when they first see you, you know, and Leanne and I walked in and we start being cheery and then Billy 
trying to tickle me and all that. I thought it was, it was uh, back home again. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, they're all different formulas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, under the circumstances, everybody's on, on set uh, are going through hardships. And so we can't come in with, you know, we have to be, as Leanne said, we have to be ready. We have to put it all together by ourselves and be prepared because, you know, those guys are standing there, the crew, with masks on all day. We just come in, do the scenes and leave. So it's easier for us. The only thing is we have to remember all that dialogue, not having practiced it with any other actor. That's the only thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to digress a bit and just say that if uh, Leanne hadn't been wearing stilettos as Anna, Steve's eye would have had a very different fate. (laughs) 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 uh, uh, Obviously, the two of you have really this incredible chemistry that has endured all these years. Uh, When you think back, do you feel like it was immediate or was it something that you had to work to develop? Immediate. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it is that because when you do, um, it's like when you do nighttime shows and um, you might have a character that's, well, I always did have some guy I was supposed to seduce or something. And they'd put the, you know, that, that seduction scene up first. And you just met the guy, you shake hands with them and you, you know, say, hi, it's nice to meet you. Okay, let's go get on the bed and now let's act like we're really hot. for it. So it's, you have to build chemistry really quickly in those kind of situations. And I think that's really what happened naturally with Teo and me. And when I remember the scene where I drugged him to make him marry me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remember that as being an actual turning point. It was a real blossoming of the blossoming of the Anna character of, of her going from the ugly duckling to the swan. But at the same time, I think it was a real blossoming of Teo's and my uh, union as a as a couple working, and I, I just really felt like that was the turn that um, made it all start to work. It was the spark that made it happen, and I'm grateful for that because you know it worked with him, it worked for me. Uh, oh, she know. loved it because of the control. <laughs> That's what happened. You know, she saw me lying there, helpless, <laughs> taking advantage of me in my tuxedo. That's what she loved about it. For the first moment in, in, in our relationship, she had control, so she liked that. The only Maybe. Thing was a whip. <laughs> uh, Maybe a little. <laughs> but, uh, you know, can I tell you a story? When, when, when I worked, I'm not dropping names, of course. Um, when I worked with Omar Sharif and he made his entrance and everybody said, you know, he was scary because he was, you know, uh, very opinionated and didn't say hello to many people. And I remember when he came in and we were doing the scene and he said, when I hit you and you go flying over that table, make sure you don't break it because it's 18th century. And I looked at him and I said, this is where I was fearless. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go down at all. I, he says, what do you mean? I said, well, if you hit me and I go down, you and I have nowhere to go after in four hours. So I'm just, he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'll just adjust my tie. So, you know, from that moment, it's how you, how do you connect with someone you meet for the first time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and with that, he put his arms out and said, oh, I love him. So <laughs> all that fearlessness that was created by being tested constantly um, mm-hmm. paid off. And, you know, in this business, 
people are looking to see if you have any vulnerabilities, especially those in power. And so you can't show those things. So you come with your best and so do they. So the importance of meeting people for the first time and what you contribute. And even this time coming back to the show, uh, do you remember like you used to remember lines? Is it as efficient as it used to be? Is it as difficult? All those things come in. And once you, you, you get the first scene over, then all those things, the memory muscle comes back and you're back in your element. And the important thing is that you must enjoy it. And uh, so what's yeah. that's probably the other thing with Leanne and I, we always enjoy each other. That's at the base. You know, it's like mm -hmm. a chicken broth of a, of a recipe you're making something. She and I always, there's, there's no problems. We don't talk politics or religion, but other than that, we have a lot going for us, you see, mm -hmm. because we have shared, <laughs> I have cooked so much for her. I mean, I could have fed, fed a village. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> Ask her how long it's been since you made me a meal. Oh, just a few years. I've brought you a lot of tequila. I've brought you a lot of wine. I've brought you cookies and cakes and torts. <laughs> she has. Okay. That she has. Looks like a fair trade. Yeah. Um, now, Leanne, we spoke to Teo about this the last time he was on the podcast, but um, tell us your experience of working with Joseph Mascolo and um, who played Stefano during your first Salem run. You know, Joe was always a larger than life character. I mean, honestly, in person, he was that large and, and in charge, that, that power feeling, which is what he embodied as the character. And, um, of course, I think I've told this story before. It was probably a year before I found out or figured out he did not have that accent <laughs> because he came into the studio with that accent. I didn't know that he wasn't Italian or from some other place because he always used it. And I, I'm, I am a basically shy person, so I would not go out of my way to ask any questions or challenge anything but honestly he was that um into that character when he'd walk in the studio so um he was always gracious to me kind to me but he was larger than life absolutely so i as a character as anna i knew where the power sat and so i was subservient to that that was what i was um supposed to be and that's how i it played it i think so as we mentioned, uh, their first trip to the altar was not the stuff of great romance because she had to drug him to get him to the altar in Las <laughs> Vegas. So what do the two of you remember about shooting that classic moment in the history of the characters? I was drugged. I didn't <laughs> He didn't have to do anything. I was doing everything. <laughs> I must. I want to say one thing about Joe. When you when you asked Leanne about Joe, you know, I'd worked with him uh, in in a class for a number of years. So I imagine seeing Joe Moscolo on stage and then being criticised by the teacher. So um, I, I was used to seeing whatever flaws away, you know, because he was always trying new things, you know. And um, I was the one who recommended him to play my father, and that's how it all started. Uh, but, you know, he came in six months later. But do you remember when he slapped me one day in a scene that was like I saw stars? He hit me so hard 
with that hand of his because he didn't like the way my tone in the scene was, he told me later. He said, you don't speak to your father in that tone. And there was Tony trying to find his own identification, but I'll never forget that slap because I actually saw stars. I've never been hit that hard. Oh my God. You know, and so when we finish at the end, you know, after all those years, the sadness of, of uh, where Joe was uh, at the end was when I went in to see him and I gave him a big hug and kiss and said to him, how are you doing? And asking him questions about uh, the scene and all that. And when I left, he turned around to the nurse and said, who was that? Wow. So that, that was one of the saddest to think you knew somebody for over 40 years and it came down to that. Um, and because I mm. knew about Alzheimer's because of my sister's husband, uh, I was able to handle him, but that was a, a sad, sad time, especially from the arc that we had as two friends and also, see, that, that, there, there it is again, you know, it's friendship. When, there's, when, the, when there is a base to two characters who know each other, the friendship adds a lot of elements yes. to the scene. And because, uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, sometimes relationships seem hollow, but uh, when like with Leanne and myself and with Joe and myself, um, we didn't have to find it. it was already established because of previous experiences, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So, but with him, it was, you know, still with his portrait, I don't, I'm not crazy about seeing his portrait every time we work, because it always reminds you that he's really gone, you know? Right, sure. Mm -hmm. Sorry, but anyway, I just sort of mentioned that, but. Well, before we go on, Leanne, any memories of the wedding that you want to share? Before? <laughs> I, I, I don't remember, like I said, more than uh, probably I was enjoying getting a little power. Uh -huh. I do remember that they curled my hair. I, I, it was like I said, like going from a duckling to a swan and <laughs> put me in a long slinky black dress with the little glitz on it. And suddenly I was... I felt my power. It was, it's, and I always say this about people say, how can you go back after 20 years and how hard is it to get back to that character? Honestly, I zip her on, like pulling up a zipper on a suit or on a snowsuit. I'm all of a sudden I'm in that character and she just comes out. I don't know. I can't even control her sometimes, but I think it started at that moment when I had a little power, <laughs> not having had power in my whole life. <laughs> That was a little bit of power. And uh, maybe I got a little drunk on it myself. <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, of course, Tony found out the truth. He divorced Anna, but by that point, she had genuinely fallen for him. Um, and then she went back to work for him, and she was spying on him for Alex Marshall, one of my favorite on-screen connections I was Ben Redeker. Um, and wonderful. Love, and then love, one day, was, well, we'll definitely talk about him. Um, you know, she found him chained up in the apartment and it turned out she'd been working not for Tony, but his imposter, Andre. So can each of you talk about the experience working together, but creating a completely different dynamic, which was between Andre and Anna? Um, the Andre, uh, you know, it's sometimes they intertwine with each other because I can't remember, you know, when you've been killed seven times and... <laughs> You know, what, what do you remember? Uh, I think one of the clues, I was always trying to find the differentiation between Tony and Andre. And one of the things I found was the way I, I uh, spoke of Anna. Tony would say Anna and Andre would say Anna. So it was things like that where um, I tried to make Andre a little more common as opposed to Tony, who was kind of the model of, 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 of the beings. 
Um, Andre was envious. Andre, you know, had plastic surgery so he could look like Tony because he wasn't getting love from his father. But I remember with Anna um, and being in bed with her, uh, one wore glasses, the other one didn't. And so I threw a clue in, and which was I took, I left my glasses. So Tony wore the glasses. That's how you knew whether it was a Tony or was it Andre. Even I'm confused now. But uh, I left those glasses there purposely. It was like my death scene where I was trying to Im impose on, on Drake Hoekston, uh, where I made it look like he killed me when I committed suicide. Um, one of the things I did was uh, in, in my speech, I took a cigarette. And that cigarette is what brought me back because my producer saw that and said, now that's a clever actor because what he's doing is he's leaving a piece of evidence. And then you say, wait a minute, Tony never smoked. It was Andre. So they were able to bring Tony back before they were able to, you know, get all those mumbo jumbo things of being able to come back alive. Um, but th there were all those little clues, you know, that you would find as an actor that they weren't putting in the script so that they could go back later. And that's what Steve Wyman, our producer, said to me when he called me up. He said, that cigarette gave us the reason why we could bring you back. So, um, so it all, all separated. Uh, I, I used to ask Anna, who was the better lover, Andre or Tony? But she didn't know. She didn't answer. <laughs> One had better rhythm than the other, I heard. <laughs> uh, mostly because if I answered one way or the other, somebody might not come back. Or my, I, never, I never knew what to say. Uh, well, Better not say. You both uh, had such a, a big reaction when we brought up Quinn Redeker and Alex. Um, I'd love to hear more about why you clearly think of him so fondly. Oh, you know, Quinn was such a... He's, he's such a... Uh, um, a twinkle in his eyes, literally. He always had um, a joy. And so he was always, he was gracious and, um, and forgiving in terms of how you're working a scene and, and really listening. He was a real listener. And I appreciate that because I'm a listener and I'm responding to what you're saying, not necessarily what you're, you know, you're doing but I'm really trying to find out what you want from me and how I'm going to respond to that. So as an actor, that's really where he came from, but he's just such a great joy. He was always, you know, I, I don't know. He was just inspirational. I like, I love Quinn. He loved typing in between scenes. He used to type his scripts and then you'd hear the typewriter going on all day. <laughs> and then he would, when they call him for the scene, he'd look at the lines and I never, he, he was like Deidre. They could look at the page. Leanne's pretty a fast learner. I'm not. I'm like, you know, it takes me days. Uh, but for uh, certain people who have good memory skills, uh, I mean, sometimes you had to wait, try to find, is, he, is that my cue with Quinn? Because his, his delivery was such. Uh, he had a great pace to him and energy, as like Leanne said. And, uh, and then he would do his work. And then he'd go straight back into his room and be very diligent when it came to his writing his scripts. And he wrote some wonderful scripts. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've seen him outside and we've had lunch and everything. He's always the gentleman. And he was one of my favorites there. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was a great character. Yeah. Yes, yes. Good looking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had a lot of great things going for him, you know. He uh... called me Saddle Shoes. I love that he, he made up a, a name for me and um, 
because it was always a reminder of remember where you come from, Anna. Mm -hmm. You're just a little girl wearing saddle shoes. You're not really that girl in the high heels. So it was always there. The audience really responded to Anna and Tony's pairing. Um, super popular pair, covers of Soap Opera Digest. Um, what do you remember about, do you remember a moment where you realized like, wow, this pairing is really happening or just a time period where you felt things were really gelling? It was all in, in those early days, I think, you know, we, we just, I was just so happy to go to work every day. It was such a treat to enjoy what you're working at. And it was such a, and by the time we were working with John and Arlene, Calliope and Eugene, and we were gelling as a foursome even, it was just such a sweet, sweet time of mem of, in my memory of, of all of it. I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to live through those years and to be a part of that foursome because it was, um, I, don't, I don't know that everybody has that opportunity to, to gel like that. I think probably people working on sitcoms that really work, they kind of get that. But when you really say working on a soap is like working like with family, it feels like that because you are... You're, you're just happy to be there every day. And I think you can tell the people who aren't happy to be there every day, it will come through with lethargy and, and different signs that they're not really connecting to it. And they don't really, maybe they don't care as much. Maybe they're distracted. And this year it's a hard year not to be distracted. But I do feel uh, I'm so grateful that I was able to um, be a part of that. You know what I did? Uh, you know, it's something. We were part of a golden age. Yes. You know, there was the golden age of Hollywood, and you can see by watching those old movies what they were able to sustain and the direction, the clothing, everything about. Uh, that's why they became classics. The same with us in the 80s and parts of the 90s, where that was the classic age of, of soaps. And uh, I don't know why... We're a always able, because people ask, oh, that was the best time. Why do we always think of the past as being the best time? You know, were they better directors, better thing? We had more time. We had more money. We were getting more money. Uh, all those things. But, and why today, when you think of the newcomers who have come on, do they, are they able to say they were part of a golden age when they're really at the end of it? You know, right. they're at, at, at the end of a situation. Uh, it may change into something else, but we were part of that. And I think that's the beauty of it, that we're mm -hmm. still able to say we were part of a history that will always remain. And so um, I had to remind myself when I came home that, there were, that I was very blessed to be able to, to take these journeys and because of what uh, of being able to work on the show the way we did. And we had those weeks off. So I, I think uh, it's sad, though, when you think about it, because we're reminiscing now. We're going into the past. We're not talking so much about the future anymore. And uh, because that's where somehow uh, the best times were had. But I do think it, it's an absolute honor that you ladies remember those special moments that were part of what we were and the oh, fact they that they did their homework last night i know but i think some of our old time you know <laughs> people still watching they remember these things yeah and uh, i started and watching I, Kate in 84 so sorry Taro. Okay, i go, go back to this time <laughs> <laughs> like I just, my favorite 
Wait, I quoted Leanne, I quoted Anna Demera in my yearbook, okay? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what did you say? It's, it's looking back, remember it was the 80s, everybody, but you oh, have a line and, and you said it to Alex. It was anyone who tells you money cannot buy happiness does not know where to shop. <laughs> and it was, just like, such a great, it was such a great line. And literally Absolutely. Anna Demera, and I met somebody years later and they're like, oh my God, you're the girl who quoted Anna Demera in your yearbook. <laughs> oh, oh I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. I made a difference. Yeah. <laughs> I Alex, Tony, Eugene, like that whole story, the prism going, you know, in the clothing. Oh. I love it all. I remember <laughs> it very well. Well, before we move past this era, I actually want to dig in a little bit deeper about the really um, charming effervescent on-screen chemistry that, as you mentioned, happened between the Tony, Anna, Eugene, and Calliope characters. Uh, what do you remember about working with Arlene and John that made it such a, a warm memory for you now looking back? Well, yeah. I, yeah, I, I remember it so well because, you know, in those days, because we were, we'd come in first thing in the morning and you'd have a little dress or not a dress, re a, a blocking rehearsal. And then you had all this time in between to really, you know, rehearse. So we would gather in one of our rooms and have a pot of coffee and all trade our lines and actually rehearse together. We all became great friends because of that. We worked our, our magic on each other. And I remember that we would make the lines work. And if, and especially John and Arlene, they would throw something in a little different if, and because they were, you know, very creative, funny people. And so it became spontaneous and it really worked. And because we had great affection for each other. So it was those close mornings and times just rehearsing. I always say, you know, uh, the Anna Demera Designs factory going and our, you know, Calliope did it all and Anna took all the credit. So <laughs> it's very much part of who she was. But uh, it was it was just fun. And I also have told this story before, but I remember one day because I was watching a show at home, The Lucy Show. And I came in the next day and I said to everybody, because we're all having our coffee and rehearsing, rehearsing our lines. And I said, I figured out who we are. We're the Lucy show. I said, Arlene, you're Ethel. John, you're Fred. Tao, you're Ricky. And I'm Lucy. And John Delancey goes, nice billing, Leanne. <laughs> because I made myself the starring role. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, it kind of worked that way. It, did work that way. I don't know why. And I don't think that wasn't deliberate that it would be following in a pattern like that. But for some reason, it really, really, we gelled. We had a great time. Yeah, especially the time when, when you were kidnapped by the Arabs. <laughs> Remember the camel? Oh, yeah. Baba oh. Sulan. Uh, Baba yeah. Sulan. Baba they, Sulan, yes. That, that, oh, my that gosh. Bad. And I remember John going... He had a, a blooper in there because he was supposed to say a uh, Baba Sulan and he couldn't figure out what it was. And he goes, Baba, what? I mean, he was like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we had some strange storylines that we made them work. I don't know how, but we had a lot of fun getting there. <sighs> I remember. They both had wonderful uh, timing, those mm -hmm. two. You know? Yeah. And uh, and she was, you know, so unique. 
and she was lovable. You know, that's the one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. John, not so much, but she was a very lovable human being. And, and the way she would, you know, she maybe forgot a line, but the way she did it, you know, she didn't panic or anything. She, she'd just look at the camera and say, what was I supposed to say? You know, it, it was very <laughs> simple and, and almost ditzy in the character. But, uh, you know, John was also very well trained and very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a good, great sense of humor. Honestly, I went, I was going through a drawer last weekend and cleaning stuff out. And I actually took a picture of it. I found a t-shirt that, that days gave to us back in those days. And on it, it says, I survived the plane crash without cue card. pulled it out and I looked at that. I took a picture of it. I could send that to you. Um, It is absolutely because when we did this plane crash where I think Andre was there instead of Tony at that point and we had this whole, we were there for weeks on end and um, died there, died. (laughs) Yes. And uh, they all, you know, up until then, everybody had cue cards. And so John kind of relied on the cue cards for the stuff and Arlene maybe too, and a few other people. And of course I didn't, because of course I couldn't read from a distance. So I have to know my lines. (laughs) And uh, they took away the cue cards. They saved a quarter of a million dollars when they did that. Wow. but it wasn't so much that it was that it was distracting and nobody was really learning their lines because they were relying on the cue cards because they'd have a line every 14 pages or something. So they took away the cue cards and that was also on the blooper reel. John asking for cue cards, please send give me back cue cards. <laughs> yes. So yes. it was pretty funny, pretty funny finding that t-shirt. It was like, Oh my gosh. Um, well, that was where Tony met Jasmine and took her back to Salem. Anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Teo, you left the show in 85 and Leanne, you followed suit in 1986, which was mm-hmm. also a noteworthy year in your career, Leanne, because you won the daytime Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress, but you were uh, not there in person at the ceremony to receive it. So tell us that story. Well, I had just, you know, come to the end of my contract and we were kind of renegotiating and when you're renegotiating, you're a free agent. So I had um, gone out and started auditioning for a few things. And um, I, got, I got offered a job on a spelling show, um, hotel. And it happened to be at the same exact time as the Emmys were taking place in New York. So I chose to work because I didn't know when I would work again. I still didn't have anything settled over at days. I didn't have anything coming. So I had this job and, and as an actor, you, you take the job. That's just what you do. You don't, you don't, you're, I don't live on dreams. I have to pay the bills. So I, I made sure I decided I would take the job. I didn't go to New York for the ceremony and I, um, remember the day that the ceremony was happening because in those days they had it in, in the, you know, noon hour, I guess, or daytime. And I was working on the set at hotel and, and it was lunchtime and they, uh, somebody knocked on my door and said, you have a phone call. So I went to this giant empty soundstage where they had this pedestal desk with a big phone on it. Nobody in the room, nobody in the soundstage except me in this phone. And I answered the phone and I said, hello, and it was my manager, and he was crying, 
And I said, what, my God, what happened? Who died? What's wrong? And he said, you won, you won. <laughs> and I said, I did. And he <laughs> said, yes, you won. And I hung up the phone. I had nobody to tell. <laughs> I didn't know I was shy. I went back to my dressing room and then I went back to work and I didn't tell anybody because I was shy. And I got home that night and I, it was like somebody did die. There was a funeral home full of flowers in my house that everybody had sent. It was really, really beautiful and sweet. And when I went to work the next morning, people congratulated me because they'd heard about it. So it was very sweet. But I did miss the experience of being able to get up on stage and say thank you. I did miss that. Mm -hmm. And then I was offered a contract on Dynasty a, a couple weeks later. And um, so I went ahead and, and moved on and uh, did that for a few years. Well, I have a question about Dynasty for sure. Whether my dog will stop barking long enough for me to answer or ask it is another matter, but here's hoping. Okay. So you joined the cast of Dynasty. As you mentioned, you were the love interest of Gordon Thompson and the daughter-in-law of Joan Collins. That was the heyday of like the glamorous primetime soap opera era. So what are your standout memories of being on the show at that time? Well, once again, I felt like I was the new kid on the block. I did feel that I was coming in to, to be kind of, because the show had by that time had morphed into something very camp and was really kind of, and so I kind of had to learn how to to work into that. Not that Anna wasn't camp, but just this was a different character. And I was supposed to be, you know, a barren woman that had always had a fixation on, on um, Adam. And so I was trying to find my way there. And I remember being a little intimidated by Joan, but Heather was lovely and Linda, all, everybody was wonderful. And then Joan, by the way, I, I always find that people that you are intimidated by, you know, they usually somehow give you a signal that, that they respect you. And I felt that from Joan. I did feel that. You could feel her energy when she was still on her way to work. You knew she was coming. She's coming in 10 minutes and people start moving fast and makeup artists start setting up their tables. I mean, they know she's coming because she's, she's quite a storm in a teacup, but she was always lovely to me. And even though we were somewhat adversarial as characters, but still she was, she was quite wonderful to me. So everybody was lovely and that's not giving much insight, but that's really kind of was my experience. Everybody was great. And I loved Gordon. Gordon was great. And I was really lucky to work with him and work with Nolan Miller and um, Nolan, um, his estate just had a, an auction a few months ago and they auctioned off the the sketches of all the designs he's done for all of these Hollywood actresses over the years and I was part of that and there was my wedding dress that he had done and auctioned off the sketch for that and so I felt like I was a little part of history and that was really beautiful I loved him too and the estate sent me some pictures that I had done a photo shoot in his personal home for with some of his gowns and um, I just saw those for the first time in 30 years. <laughs> so it was really, really special. But anyway, it was, it, those are lovely memories because I got to meet some of the most um, not necessarily important people of the time, but you know, certainly people that were standout for the, the time frame that we were working in. Mm -hmm. 
Well, before we go back to Dave, sorry, Teo, we have to please indulge us. You are talking to two big Dawson's Creek fans here. So we have to ask you, <laughs> as your controversial run as Tamara Jacobs, the teacher who took Pacey's virginity. Um, <laughs> so were you surprised by what an immediate success that show was and sort of how much attention your role in it drew? Well, you know, when I took that role, I was nervous about it. Um, I remember calling home to say to my mom, I'm going to be out of town for a couple of months. I'm moving to North Carolina for a couple of months. And uh, she said, what are you doing? And I told her and she said, oh, like that woman up here. I was nervous to tell my mom I'm playing a teacher seducing a child. I, I, it was a horrible idea. And yet when I look back on a lot of old movies, those that theme is in so many old movies that I saw one with John Saxon and um, Esther Williams, she's the teacher, he's the teenage student. I mean, th this is not an old theme, or not a new theme, this is an old theme. But my mom said, this, there's a story going on up here, real life, Mary Kay Letourneau in Washington State. So I said, okay, Ooh, all right. So that was actually on court TV, if you remember, they had that in those days, live trials. So when I moved to North Carolina, I was working on the set, but I would come home in the evenings and watch her on camera because I was trying to study, how do you do this? How do you justify this? How can you possibly think it's okay to do this with a teenage boy? And she loved him. That's really where I got it down to watching her, recognizing that that's really the basis of everything she did. So I, I'm, a, I'm sort of apologizing for the character, but that is what, and it was based on a real person. The writer, Kevin Williamson, told me that he based it on a friend of his who had a fling with his teacher. So um, it was a true thing. I, I think at the time, when I read the script, when we filmed the pilot, there was magic in the air, not just with my characters. We knew there was something special about that show. And so it was no surprise that it was picked up and we were back within months to film, start the series. It was, there was magic. It was just um, all of those young people, as they've proved out to be such wonderful actors and, you know, a little bit more mature now. Mm -hmm. Um they're just, uh, they've really, really shown. And so um, I'm grateful to have been a part of that as well. <laughs> Little history. You ever run into Joshua Jackson or anyone else from the cast? I haven't. I have not. I have not. And um, I, I keep thinking maybe I will someday. But, you know, this I don't know where everybody lives, to tell you the truth, anymore. But um, I do remember when we came back, um, they had they had given us a poster, which was a picture of the four kids. It was a giant poster. And one of the producers was having a party, a cast party. So I went to the, and I carried my poster with me and a pen, and I had everybody sign it, all of those young stars. And I remember James Vanderbeek saying, it's the first time I've ever signed anything. Wow. Oh, um, I gave it to my cousin's daughter who was having a birthday and she was a teenager and just, it was very exciting. And I said to her recently, I said, I hope you haven't thrown that away. It was literally one of a kind. I mean, at the yeah. time, it was the only one of its kind. Yeah. But, yeah. Does she have it? Oh, she's got it. Oh yeah. She said, oh no, Aunt Leanne, I'll keep that forever. So. <laughs> um, okay. Well, thank you for letting us ask those questions. Uh, back course. to me. 
<laughs> so it wasn't until 2007 that Days fans saw the two of you together again in Salem. Um, what was it like to reunite? And did you find it easy to step back into the rhythm of working together? Well, I don't think it was anything new because <clears throat> Leah and I had been seeing each other all those years, you know, in between. So we remained very close. Um, you know, I, I, to, that's, that's going back, you know, 13 years. Um, I, you know, it's all about... I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't remember it as being anything profound or anything. I thought the storyline was fine. Um, I'd rather talk about what we're doing now, but uh, in, as far as those times were concerned, um, it was nice. I remember having to see, because I hadn't seen Anne all those years in the story, how do you do that, you know? Um, how do you embrace each other and make it look like that's what it was like, you know? Uh, that, that was not an easy moment to create. And, um, but but you know, how you remember, remember how we did have some wonderful where you, you proposed to Anna again and we got married off screen again, but it was really, I remember it as being a really sweet little moment in time for our characters to re-meet and reconnect and, and get back together. I remember sitting on the plane with you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean when we come? Oh, oh, okay. I forgot that part. I was thinking of our the lovely proposal, and the the. I just remember being back at Doug and Julie's or somewhere, and and dancing and celebrating, and and then you left again. I don't know. They killed you again. Oh, um, I don't know what they did. <laughs> I mean, to die that many they times. That they killed him again. <laughs> I think I they, they killed. They called me up and say. Well, we're going to put the character dressed again, and I'm going, oh, God, here we go. <clears throat> but uh, uh, the, the only time I really felt it was, was when James Riley did, did it to me because it was out of a lie. Actors had said some things that were not true, and, and he got, got enraged and, and uh, killed me off. But, um, you know, the, some characters, like, you know, come, are there all the time, you know. But uh, for those of us who come and go, um, I wish now in many ways it, it becomes, because there's something in, in the maturity of a character that brings certain revelations of having lived through things. And I, I wish that that was in there. What, you know, because that's what we teach the young, don't we? We reach a point in our lives, well, not you girls, but I have, but you turn around one day and you're going, oh, now I'm supposed to show what I've learned and demonstrate and be an example of. And, um, uh, and then at the same time, you, you, hopefully someone will grasp onto to it, just like I did when I was young. I always wanted older people around me. And I, I wish they would use stories like that because I think it's important about what it is we've learned and what we're going to impart. Because pe many people die and we never find out their secrets, you know. And that's why in history, we're always constantly digging for things because we didn't ask those questions or we didn't express those, those feelings. And, um, I just, I mean, there's so much there, you know. I mean, we're a goldmine uh, of information and, um, and we're not being used that way. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that when you did come back um, uh, this week, last week, um, when you came back on screen, it felt right. Like Anna and Tony walked into the Demera mansion and it just, like, it was just electric. And then... Um, Leanne, your scenes with Emily O'Brien, with Gwen, where she was like grilling her about everything were so great. <laughs> and then Teo, you had the scenes at the jail with uh, Billy and Stacy. And 
actually made a very funny reference to Tony being presumed dead so many times. And I, I can't yes. remember, I did. You look at the, the Christmas photo and you say, um, oh, I don't think I was there. Oh, <laughs> and, yes. and then Chad says, you were, that was one of your times in the afterlife. And you're like, it's not funny. And it was just like, <laughs> and they could play with the history of that. And I, I don't know, for, I, for one, obviously appreciate when you come back, we're not alone. Fans do too. You know, how does it feel for the two of you that they do keep finding ways to bring Anna and Tony back to the show? Well, the, I, I like to ask why. Why did suddenly, you know, is it because, oh, somebody thinks, oh, it's time to bring them back. What happens in that moment that they, that the idea, because, well, let's bring family together, you know, at Christmas or, or let's, let's see because of what happens with Kristen and myself later um, or with, I, with uh, Leanne and, and, and uh, Gwen. <laughs> yes. I mean, I loved it when Leanne is sitting on the couch and just suddenly puts her hands down and like, come over here and let's talk because <laughs> you know there's trouble. That's why I ad-libbed a line for Leanne, which she liked. Um, I love was before I was leaving, I knew she was going to be up to mischief. So I just whispered in her ear, behave. <laughs> you know? And that wasn't in the script, but I did that and it gave her the impetus to, to go against it, you know, the troublemaker that she can be, you know. So all those little innuendos that we do that we add that brings familiarity to the characters for the audience, you know. And um did you like them coming back? I have tears in my eyes. I just got emotional just thinking about, uh, you know, all, really all of the richness of that history is is present. You you guys play it. They 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 do do I think uh, some nice nods to it in the story. And yeah, I liked it. I freaking loved it. I love having Tony Tony and Anna in Salem. Oh, thank you. <laughs> See, that's why we do it. <laughs> that's why we do it. We, I. I I'm grateful, like I said, to be part of something that, you know, it gives somebody some emotion, something to entertain them, somehow to um, give, give people something to grab onto right now. People need joy. We need joy so desperately. Well, so, people, sorry. No, so I just am, I'm just grateful to have been a part of, of it. And I loved, um, I always say that I feel like I come into a room like a, free radical. I'm like, I, I feel like I'm just bouncing off the walls because everybody else is still. And what's interesting with, with Emily, um, that nanny Gwen, um, she's very still, which in her character comes off quite menacing. She's very still. Uh, my family's already asked me, what is she like? You know? And I said, she's really lovely, lovely girl. I met her for the first time myself, but I said, she's really nice. And they went, oh, well, she plays it bad really good. And I said, that stillness that she has. Meanwhile, Anna is just all over, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm a, I'm a perky person. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the first, when I met her, you know what the first thing she asked me? Is it true that you've died seven times? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, yes, and I'm back. But I, I have to be honest, uh, Leanne and I are the core of Demaris. Yes, you know, agreed. I was the first Demera. Um, all the rest were added later, and nobody looks like a Demera, really. I mean, they're a little too Anglo. I mean, what Joe and I established, um, <clears throat> certain training as well, a certain style, a certain power. And, and yet, you know, you look at it and you, you come back, and I think that's what the audience loves because 
let's face it, the audience loves history. You know, they love to see the characters that they have such memories because we've played it so much. And we've been with them for so many years. But I, I just, I just wished in many ways that um, the true Demeras were back. That's why I put a photograph of Joe and myself and say, and said the Demeras, you know. And so, right. you know, it's about what homework you do in order to remember who these characters are. And that's why I think the characters have sustained all these years. So I, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is what will happen. I mean, it would be great for Tony Demera to be head uh, and have for the conflict between Anna and Tony because she, does, she wouldn't want it. Mm-hmm. She would probably want to go back to Europe, you know, and back to where, where it's safer and away from all, all the histrionics of the Demera family. But, you know, we have no control over that, but sometimes I would like to sit in a writer's meeting and discuss storyline, you know. Us um, too. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's hope we'll see more of you both in 2021. Um, and it's been so great to talk to you today. We thank you so much for joining us. This was such a fun chat. Uh, thank you. Always a pleasure to see you guys, um, or you ladies. Happy holidays, a, a wonderful new year. Thank you as well. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, here's to a beautiful new year. A gentler 2021. Indeed. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Teo Penglis and Leanne Hunley for being our guests. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back in January for another podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.